Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. So I know I always start the show and say, I keep finding amazing leaders all over the world, but I do. And we're going back down under, which everybody knows is one of my favorite spaces and places, then interviewing an amazing entrepreneur, heart-centered leader. You know, it's that serendipitous integration of of energy that I like to call. So I'm going to welcome Paula Conroy to the show. Paula, it's so nice to see you. And I'm, I'm so delighted that you got up so early in the morning to speak to me. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a joy. I mean, when I saw your podcast and and just the name, this imperfect heart-centered leadership just bounced out of me so quickly. I was like, wow, this is ex- this is an extraordinary conversation to be holding between women. And I was just so inspired to reach out and say, hey, let's have a chat. I'm loving what you're doing. It's fantastic. And, um, you know, given that I had a big process around, you know, when I moved from corporate into entrepreneurship, the choice that I was making around what would I like to call myself in my business? You know, I'm the founder of this business. Um, but the languaging even of CEO for me was just, it felt so stark. Like I'm not a chief. I'm not an officer. You know, I'm not some person that's coming out of some war or going into some war. It just, it just, all the languaging of business has really kind of struck second in command. And, you know, it's just chief operating officer. And it just, all of that just stood in such stark contrast to what I have, you know, cultivated and really started to deeply embody and understand leadership to be about. So um, I actually, uh, I called myself the founder and the heart of the frequency, which is which is what my business is called. So when I saw your podcast and, and it's all about heart-centered leadership, I was like, exactly, this is exactly what it's all about. So yeah, it's really fantastic to be here on the show with you. And thank you so much for having me on as a guest. Well, I'm delighted and I, I love the the stature and the identity that you give because words play a big part in our life and in our languaging as entrepreneurs, regardless of what we do in business. We talk about it a lot on the show. So we're going to put your bio below because I think the story always unfolds beautifully through my leadership question. So my first leadership question is, I love how you talk about feminine leadership and how it differs from what's currently being taught. Can you unpack that and kind of give us your wisdom and insight to what that really means from your vantage point? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Deb. And look, it's one that I'm exploring in more and more detail as it's revealing itself to me because there are um, so many people out there that, um, and myself included, that at, and for a long period of time, and I spent 15 years work, working in corporate banking at such senior leadership levels and and went in and out of many different leadership training programs um, and managerial training programs and, um, you know, always took something juicy out of those programs, like I think everybody does. There was always something that a part of me would really resonate with and grab hold of and say, wow, that that's something I can really use 
And yet there was also this part of me that would leave all of these training programs going, something's missing. Like there's, there's something not quite there and I, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know how to articulate it and I don't know what it is. Um, and so there was this part of me that, that was not being fed through the way in which I was learning and being trained in leadership. Um, and I started posing this question to all the leaders that I was meeting um, in, in the search of, in inverted commas, the leader. Um, you know, where is this leader that embodies leadership for me? Like, and what are the words around that? Um, if that's going to be useful, but more, what's the experience of the person, you know, that I have when I'm with them, that make that makes them have that X factor, that gives me that mirrored reflection of like, wow, that was extraordinary. Like, I just love meeting that person. I feel so inspired. I'm on a, you know, there was some, something to catalyze inside of me. And there was, there was um, a question that I was posing to all different leaders, you know, CEO of HSBC when I met him, uh, CEOs of the businesses that I used to meet, you know, heads of treasuries, all over. And the question was, um, you know, if leadership is a lifelong journey, in other words, it's something that all of us can always get better at. What is the one leadership skill that we should be investing in as an organization? And what is the one leadership skill at the moment that you are personally working on for yourself? And there was a constant deflation, should I say, in the responses that I got. They just, I mean, it would be like discipline and time management and, you know, energy management and all of these sort of, you know, very much in the box, bog standard responses to something that for me was more alive. Like, what is this aliveness, this X factor, this energy that comes with a leader that lights other people up, that sets people up? I'm sure we can all manage our time better. We can all manage our energy better. I think there's one step further than that, which is attention management. You know, attention management is an, that's where our time goes, is where our attention goes. It's where our energy goes, is where our attention goes. And, you know, that's where I feel all the practices come in to help support us to manage our attention. But that's 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 another train of thought we can explore later if that's of interest. But, you know, so this this whole experience of how is it that we set, set ourselves on fire, and what I realized is that through the, that experience, there was one particular Women's Day breakfast in 2018. And this panel of women came onto the stage to talk. And this woman called Dr. Katrina Wallace came onto the stage. And she is a pioneer in artificial intelligence and ethical practices around the metaverse. And she does extraordinary ordinary work out there, the venture capitalist and very influential. And she came onto the stage and it was like, my whole life got lit up. I said, you know, there she is, you know, there she is. Here is this person that's got all of the credentials and she's also got the sass and the X factor and the person, you know, she's personable. She's not sitting up there on a throne or at the head of the table you know, in this hierarchy, there was this relatable experience that I had towards this woman in 2018. And that was a really big catalyst for me to go exploring what are these, what are the different traits that we're learning as leaders in today's current market? What What is it this, that I'm learning in these, in these experiences that I'm having within the training programs that are gone and what's missing? And it was in the sitting with that question of, of what am I learning and what what's missing that I started to really explore the fundamental differences between these masculine traits within all of us, you know, men and women alike, and these feminine traits within all of us. And that these are two very useful and very important 
sides of every human being, male and female, um, and non-binary and transgender and every other gender, for all human beings, we have these typical traits that are living within us. But our culture has revered and celebrated and applauded all the masculine traits within us, you know, as a young girl, and perhaps you might resonate with this, but I watched all the men around me, you know, get promoted and all the dads around me earn the money. And, you know, that was just how the culture worked. And it was like, oh, well, that's just what happens. This is, this is, this is what happens. Masculinity gets rewarded in today's society, you know, even down to Joseph Campbell's um, mythology and, and exploration of the hero's journey. Again, a very masculine journey of hero being born and going out and sort of slaying the dragon and saving the princess and finding the pot of gold and, you know, going to challenge an ordeal out there and then coming back and bringing back the, you know, the wares of his of his journey. And then he's hailed by a hero in his village. And we've seen sort of, you know, um, Hollywood, you know, revere that hero's journey and pretty much every single story is about that cycle of, of the masculine journey. But what is this this feminine side of us, this, this beautiful... Uh, emotionally centered side of us. You know, if the masculine lives within our physical bodies, this let's go out and kill the bull. You know, what is this feminine side of us that lives within the emotional body of us human beings? And that, I want to say exploration, but it's like an incloration and in an exploration internally of what's actually going on inside of us. And I recognize that that's, that, that lack of exploration is mirrored out there in the world and to such a large degree, I mean, if we look at so many of our masculine leaders or even just the men in our lives, how culture and society has not supported them to become very attuned to their emotional centers. Certainly when we were growing up, was like, be a man's man and do a man's job and, you know, come on, buck up, don't cry. And, you know, it was all those parts of this beautiful emotional side of, of, of the masculine in the world that was not necessarily supported, you know, to be able to build this feels in the tool set to be able to be with our emotions as human beings in a really healthy way and to be able to embody the full spectrum of human emotions instead of just always striving for this preferable side of the human emotional range. Be happy, be joyful, you know, do good work in the world, stay positive. Yes, all of us would love to have that experience all the time, but that's not reality. The reality is, is that we're human beings and we have this whole spectrum of human emotions that all of us are going to feel man, woman, transgender, non-binary, every human being on this planet will, will at some stage feel grief, feel sadness, feel depression, feel anxious. You know, we will lose parents, we will lose friends, friends will get divorced, we'll have relationship challenges, children will put us through our own challenges. There's going to be an experience that every single human being has that's going to challenge our emotional range. But as a human family, as a human population, we haven't been taught the skill sets on how to be with the full spectrum in a way that has grace and acceptance and the capacity to be able to be with the bigness of the difficult feelings in a really skilled and healthy way. And that really is what, what, what I explored very much. I was like, something's missing in these leadership models. We're going out there and we're getting told how to manage our time better and you know have better conversations with our peers and go through difficult conversations, those difficult conversations are only possible uh, based on the leader's capacity to be in the discomfort of the difficult conversation. And a leader can only be in the discomfort of a difficult situation if they have done all of the work on their own emotional experience of their own life in order to be able to hold the space within their own bodies for that difficult conversation not to make them squirm, 
and impact the field, this field around them, the person that's sitting in front of them with the kind of muddiness of their own undigested emotional center. And that exploration, that journey, that rite of passage from like, wow, we've been taught this one way, but there is this enormously important underneath the iceberg, down an inward journey that every human being needs to go on if we're going to stand in healthy alignment with what true, holistic, embodied, heart-space leadership looks, feels, and, ex- and is experienced like. Oh, this is this interview's a delight for me. I'm I'm smiling ear to ear. And you know, the summary, very brief of what you just eloquently expressed there, your frequency. We need new language and we need to loosen up business acumen. I'm gonna I'm gonna just summarize it in that. And there's there's gonna be more conversations I can see between you and I in the future. I'm going to go into my second question. It's it's super fun. It has permanent residency on the show. Share with us one imperfection that Paula brings to her heart-centered leadership. Oh, I love that. And you know, this is so so interesting because often I speak about, um, we talk about sort of, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of work in the world now around what that toxic masculine aspect looks like. So what is the feminine aspect? It's the toxic perfectionism, you know, this real toxic perfectionism, you know, girls and, you know, to a degree men, but specifically as women, we were taught to be pretty pleasing and polite and make sure that we were good girls and that it was just don't, don't rock the boat and just everything, keep keep everything in this in this little bucket of toxic perfectionism. And I've had to really observe it and pay attention and kind of hunt that down within me, which again is, as a, as an internal explorer or a shadow hunter of my own lived experience, there's always going to be nooks and crannies that all of these little darknesses and shadows are, are, are hiding. And so for me, you know, that toxic perfectionism, I could, I definitely noticed how that showed up in me when I was transitioning from a corporate environment where I'd been working for a very long period of time. And in those very large engines, you know, the the role which each of us play is very narrow and very deep. So when it came down to doing something, there was a marketing department who would put documents together and there was a team booking site that would get the IT fixed. And that transition from a whole lot of other people doing those little bits and pieces so I could focus on my one tiny little piece and seek to do that really well, suddenly all became a job that I had to do. So I am the one that has to make sure my IT is working. And if my antivirus is not working, I have to work out how to fix it and I have to schedule my calendar all the time to make sure that I've got enough space around my calendar all the time. So all these little things that other people were doing, you know, in service to the engine working the way in which the engine works in those big corporates, all suddenly started falling to me. And I noticed when I started my business, how long it took me to cross the threshold because I was getting strangled by my own toxic perfectionism. I wanted everything on my website to look perfect. I wanted the social media things to look perfect. I don't have skills to be designing these beautiful tiles and, you know, making these wonderful reels that people do on social media. I've never even trained in that. It's not my skill set. I was off social media for 10 years. I never had Facebook or Instagram for 10 years. And I'm stepping out into my own business and I'm opening up all these worlds that are like, wow, like I don't know how to do any of those things. And I got stuck in my journey, got stuck because I was getting strangled by my own toxic perfectionism. And I had to really have a look at that where 
where are you actually standing in your own way because you are stuck in this old way of being that's been conditioned into you, that everything has to look and be a certain way in order for it to be acceptable by the outside world. There's a lack of authenticity there, Paula. There's a real lack of authenticity. There's Life is not perfect. It is absolutely imperfect by design. Even down to our facial features are one eye is bigger than the other. And, you know, this ear is slightly higher than that. That is the absolute nature of our of our life. Nature in itself is perfect in its imperfection when we look at a rugged garden or a beautiful, you know, tree line or something like that. It's it's not some linear, straight, very um, perfectly lined set of, 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 of bushes. Unless, of course, they've been hedged in that way. But then again, that's 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 a human intervention in, in the creation of order in the outside world. Wild, life is wild, you know, and there's this wild woman archetype in, in, in every single one of us women that as, as young girls, we were taught not to embrace. It was, you know, just fit into this, into this pretty pleasing and polite and do well at school and, you know, to go out there and get a job and then probably you'll get married and your husband will work and you'll have children and then your job will be to raise the children really well and just keep doing all of those things. When that wild woman archetype within us, and that certainly emerged in me as I kind of came out of the conformity of the of the very defined structure within which I've been working in for 15 years, that like discovery of the wildness inside of me, the wild-centered heart, and that embracing of that imperfect self, the embracing of wow this business is going to be a full representation of me. And do I want it to be perfect or do I want it to be authentic? What are the, those are really the two choices that I'm looking at. So I'd say, you know, in response to your question, that discovery or that realization of the toxic perfectionism within me, which was mirrored to me by some of the people I worked at, you know, put it, stop trying to make it perfect. And there'd be this part of me, but it must look this way and it must look that way. And I could see how that was keeping me stuck. And so to try and try and support myself to take off those layers was indeed a rite of passage in itself and a difficult one at that because it requires a letting go, requires a letting go of all the things that had supposedly had been my winning formula. These things, you know, she puts on excellent work, you know, it's like, oh, well done, excellent work. It's in, It looks fantastic. You know, it's worded really well. It's just, you know, Perfect. Well, yes, no, it's, uh, it's, it's not the reality of what, or, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not promoting um, imperfection at the expense of impeccability. Those are two very different things as well. We can put out impeccable work without it being perfect, if that makes sense. Like we can oh, be, absolutely. Imp- yeah, yeah. So that impeccable work is something I strive for, but the, the, the lens of perfectionism is something that I seek to to break down for sure. Yeah. So it's a nice segue into my third leadership question. If you go back to the Paula that made the decision to leave corporate and launch out on your own and everything you've shared with us today, if you met a younger version of you or a woman who came to you, you've been through the rite of passage now and you've come out on the mm-hmm. other side. What is one tip you would give to a female who's in any type of corporate slash executive, let's remove the titles, let's just say leadership. Yeah. And maybe pondering, should I, could I, what if? What's one strategy that you can share that you learned in your rite of passage that led you to where you are today? Because you really did a big shift from logical mind to emotional mind 
because you had to let go of the resistance. You had to, you know, dip your toe in that big pond of discomfort. And perfectionism is never a tangible reality. And it's one of the hardest things for us to let go. So what would be your one strategy to share with another corporate woman who's just a little farther back on the road from you? No, beautiful. Um, what, what comes to heart straight away is um, listen to the agitation when it's coming. You know, there was agitation in me for probably three years before I was able and willing to find the right allies and design my life in such a way that that type of exit was possible. So it does take, it's not like, oh, listen to the agitation and jump ship immediately. You know, there we do need to be strategic about these transitions. We do need to plan to a certain degree how, okay, financially, how am I going to be able to sustain myself? Can I support myself and my family? If I make this move, there's going to be a period of time when I'm not going to be making money, et cetera, et cetera. So practically, again, the masculine coming into that conversation, practically one does need to set one of the self at. Um, but but my my um, invitation to to other women would be is that our, our, one of our greatest assets is our intuition. And our intuition is something that we have, unfortunately, through culture, through conditioning, through the lack of, you know, heart-centered leadership being the main theme of what gets taught um, in corporates and in businesses and through courses, you know, through the disconnection that us women have to our own intuitive feminine capacities means that this incredibly powerful tool of our intuition has, has been blunted a bit. So we self-doubt. We question ourselves, we lack the confidence, we got stuck somewhere along the line when our intuition was either bashed out of us or it wasn't respected in the environments that we had. We would say, hmm, I feel like that's not quite right. And we'd get the logical sort of mow down on, 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 on what we were feeling wasn't quite right, you know, some kind of logical solution or logical answer would then discount our intuitive kind of alarm bell that was happening. So we have not necessarily been taught how to tune in deeply to our intuition. So when we start feeling that level of agitation, when we start questioning, if the question's coming up, like, mm, I think I need to change, something's going up. I've always wanted to do X, Y, and Z, you know, but I haven't taken that leap. I haven't made, that is, that is this intuitive voice within us, knocking on the internal recess of our, of our hearts and of our minds saying, there's something else there's something else calling that your, your life song that you're not singing is calling for you. And I'm here to tell you that there's another way, that there's another way, that there's another way. And so that internal knocking is like, can we give that voice, that, that intuitive voice within us that's possibly quite quiet to begin with, more space for her to speak more, more loudly? And how do we do that? How do we create, you know, the the environment within which she feels safe to get louder. You know, there's practicalities like I've touched on on the external that we need to be aware of. So, you know, how do we practically build our lives to support ourselves to go more deeply into this voice? How do we create allies or how do we get allies in that? So how do we have, you know, a, a coach or a mentor or a, you know, mature feminine friend, somebody else who's walked the path that can help guide us on that way, you know, which is why I designed the frequency circles the way I did, which was, you know, to create the space for women to be able to uh, have a safe space within which they can start touching on feeling unsafe within themselves. 
how do we create containers within which women can start to have the security and the knowingness that they are allowed to start breaking out into feeling spaces within themselves that they don't necessarily have in a family structure, in a relationship, in a work environment? How do we create that as women and tap back into that safe space for them to explore and start unpacking this beautiful, extraordinary, powerful voice of intuition? And how do we start connecting women more deeply to that voice of intuition so that they know within themselves and kind of body that within themselves? Because nobody can take that away from us. Once we verified something within ourselves to be true, nobody can tell us otherwise. No bulldozer of logical mind can come in and say, actually, I'm going to bulldoze that intuitive knowing that you have and tell you that you're wrong. So I can't take that away from me. I, 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 I have embodied and verified this for myself to be true. It is indeed an absolute capacity of mine that I will never, ever let go of because it's so rooted within me. I'm not, I'm unwavering in my own truth now. And so that's, that's what I'd say is listen to that voice of intuition. There, there'll be an agitation. We'll see it showing up in our lives. We'll be like, not so sure about this job, not so sure about this relationship, agitating on this next stage of transition. Uh, if there's an agitation, how is it that we create the possibility of being able to tune more deeply into what is that voice calling for? Because we know that that voice of intuition is calling us to our purpose. It's calling us to our life's path. And we would love, I would love to see people having the opportunity to be able to honor that and honor that path. Because then we're living amongst people who are definitely living within their deep dharma. They're living within their own purpose and they're intrinsically motivated within themselves to do something instead of extrinsically motivated to earn a salary, to support the family, to pay the mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's such a different motivating factor from an extrinsic motivating factor to an intrinsic motivating factor. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm excited that our, our paths have crossed and I, I look forward to continued conversation and I, I'm excited for you, the discovery that you've had in your rite of passage to create the frequency and, and the world that the work that you're doing around the globe. And uh, I look forward to continued conversations. And I just want to remind everybody, there's a new playbook in town and my new book is being released in September and it's called the Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook. So I look forward to uh, further dialogue on the show and connecting with more heart-centered leaders like Paula, who's in Australia. And I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence and close out the show for me. Heart-centered leadership is? The embodiment of the masculine and feminine within each and every one of us. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. Looking to master the art of heart? Head over to our website at debcrow.com. And watch out for Deb's new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, coming in September. 